So we are we skipped a lesson because of the conference. So we're on lesson three, but we're actually doing lesson four in the book. Yeah, and the title of that lesson is Jesus demonstrates His power. And the scriptures are Mark chapter four verse thirty-five to chapter five verse forty-three. So Lord, we thank you that we have a Messiah who is omnipotent. When he came into first century Israel, he came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, saying that he was the Messiah. All you have to do is accept me as your king, and the kingdom, the supernatural utopian kingdom would come. Of course, they denied that, and so you've had quite a delay now. But our Messiah still has supernatural power and is omnipotent, and so... We appreciate that, and we appreciate when he helps us. But now we pray that you'd help us to understand how he demonstrated his power to first century, century Israel, and help that to build our faith in him also. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so we're starting on, it'll be 4, verse 35. Um, now, we skipped uh, Jesus' parables, three of his parables in the last lesson. So I just want to say real briefly, the parable of the soils, which is a very famous parable. Most people take it to re, to um, apply to the church, and I think it can indirectly apply to the church, but remember who he told this to. He told it to first century Israel under the Mosaic law. That is when it was given, and so, and what was the gospel he was preaching? It was the gospel of the kingdom. And the good news was that the king had come. If you accept the king, then the kingdom would appear. But the, and the parable, and Jesus gave the parable after the unpardonable sin was committed. Right after, in chapter 3, the leaders of Israel committed the unpardonable sin, and they attributed Jesus' miracles to Satan, the power to Satan. And uh, so that is when Jesus switched to parables to hide things from the unbelieving, but to explain them to the believing. And he said, what just happened it was the first of the parables. The word was plant, the word was spread, Jesus spread the word, and the devil came and took it away. And so they weren't saved. And that happened to the leaders of Israel. The devil came and took away the word. They weren't saved. And they committed the unpardonable sin. And so now they could look forward to A.D. 70, which is when the whole place was destroyed. But then there were others who received the word and were saved, but they had no root, and they fell away. So these are the... And the parallel with us in the church age is there are believers like that. Yeah, Demas was an example of the one where the distractions took over because he fell in love with this world. He fell in love with this world, so he departed. So either persecution will drive you away if you're not grounded, or distractions or the, the lures of the world will drive you away so that you're still saved, you're still going to heaven, but... You're useless as far as God is concerned. He can't use you. And then there are those who 
hear the message and continue to believe after initial salvation. And so they grow spiritually, they grow into discipleship, and they are useful. And they bear fruit for the Lord. The second parable was the parable of the seed, which is an interesting parable, and this is the Mark is the only gospel writer who gives this one, that the word of God itself produces crops without people using it. And it makes it it makes you think of the stories of the Gideons where people are throwing a Bible and someone catches it and then they start to read it and they get saved. And you know, the word by itself has power. Yeah, disprove it. Yeah, they want to disprove the Bible. They get saved. Yeah, we I mean there are a lot of a couple of famous people like that. I think Josh McDowell was one of those. And the Lee Strobel was one of those where they were trying to disprove the Bible, so they're reading the Bible, and they <laughs> became saved, and then they become <laughs> apologists for the Bible. Yeah, so that's that's that second parable. The parable of the seed is the, the word of God itself has inherent power. Yeah, and then the parable of the mustard seed, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? It's like a mustard seed. So the kingdom of God starts slowly. This utopian kingdom hasn't started at all yet. When it starts, when it starts, the earth will be decimated. There will be few people on earth. And it's like Daniel chapter 2, the stone that was cut out of a mountain without hands. It, it wiped out the kingdoms of man, and then it grew to fill the earth. And that's... So these parables are not about the church age, they are about the kingdom. Um, but especially the parable of the soils has a you know a definite uh, parallel in the church age in that you want to be the good soil. You want to hear the word, you want to continue to believe. What does that mean? You read the Bible and when he gives you commands, you say, yes, sir, I will do it. That's how you grow. And then you're useful in the hand of the potter. Okay, so then uh, section A is Jesus calms a storm at sea. That's verses 35 to 41. Can I get somebody to read that? I'll do it. Little, all right. All right. Thank you, sir. Yeah, so verse 35, on that day when evening came, so the leaders rejected him. He gave these parables. It's now evening. He said, let's go to the other side. Remember where he was at this time. This was, um, so they're going from the Capernaum side, which was on the west, northwest, over to the east side, east side of the Sea of Galilee, which is Gentile territory. And then, verse 36, leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So he left with the disciples, and the other people got in boats and followed <laughs> along. And so there's a little flotilla uh, crossing the lake because uh, they didn't want to let him go, you know. They didn't want to let him go. And then verse 37, there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. The Sea of Galilee apparently its geography is such that it's prone to these storms. 
it's it's below sea level and it's inside a a valley with mountains on either side and so winds can you know funnel down through there apparently and come very quickly then the disciples say something very interesting in verse 38 now Jesus was tired must be tired Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion when a storm was going on and the boat was filling with water <laughs> so he was sleeping while the boat was filling with water he must have been really tired. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So their their question was, I don't think they doubted his power, really. They doubted whether he cared. Yeah, so that was my question. This is a question that the quarterly asked. Has a problem in your life ever caused you to doubt God's compassion? Yeah, they think he doesn't care if they're going to die. They think they're going to die. They think they're going to die, these seasoned fishermen. So it must have been a very bad storm. And, uh, yeah, um, that that is our tendency, isn't it? When things get rough, things get tough, we think, Lord, don't you care about me? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you can understand in the natural man how that would make you frightened, how that would make you frightened. It's a very understanding. But I think that is part of spiritual growth. To understand, and we see examples all through the Bible of how the Lord allows people to go through very challenging, very challenging. Job, you know, it comes first to mind where even his children are killed. He's covered with sores. He loses everything material. His wife curses him. Yeah, so he has no friends. So, And the Lord allowed him to go through that. And it caused him to grow spiritually. And we're told a couple of places that that is the Lord's plan for us, is to make us grow spiritually. And he does it through these trials. The trials are where you grow. You don't grow when everything's great and you're, you got birds twittering around your head and you're out in a meadow having a picnic. <laughs> you know, that's not the when you grow. You grow, and so for the believers, see, now this is the sort of thing, like the second parable, you know. You receive the word, and immediately, it talks about persecution. You get persecution from outside, but the Lord can lead you through t trials that are not specifically persecution, where you, the natural tendency is to give up. But that's why you have to read James, James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So when you have problems, you know, I have a problem now, and uh, thankfully I've been in the Bible long enough to, to know this. So I think it has changed my attitude toward this problem, and I hope that it will glorify God. But, you know, all these problems, and I've had every complication I can think of. <laughs> but the Lord has carried me through all of them. And, you know, so it helps you grow. Right, and so that, right, and so that's a learning process. That is not 
initial salvation. You don't get that from initial salvation. You get that after when you follow the Lord for a while and you realize, man, his word really is true. It works. So here's another one that has the same message. This is Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. God's plan for each one of us is to make us mature, and that means trials. That's how he matures us. That's his method of maturing us. So when you get a, a trial, consider it all joy and say, Lord, help me do it. <laughs> you know, well, I can't do it, but let me trust you to bring me through it. And that is what he's going to teach them here. That increases your faith markedly. It markedly increases your faith. Because then when the next one comes, you think, oh, well, last time this happened. Maybe this time something like that will happen again. So, uh, but yeah, the Lord is training us to trust him. And so then he goes to verse 39. So he didn't respond to their question. He said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? perishing? He just ignored that. And he got up and took care of it. Verse 39, he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. So who can command the weather? That's what he did. He got up, he commanded the weather. <laughs> um, somebody with supernatural power. That's supernatural. And of course, if you're the God who spoke from nothing and everything leapt into existence, of course you can command the weather to do what you want. Um, you know, there somewhere I read, some people thought it was related to demonic activity. I don't know where I read that. So strike that from the record. I can't, I can't put it. But anyway, the storm. Yeah, it was a de demonic manifestation. Yeah. So, and... You know, you notice later when he does command them whether they're afraid of him now. So in verse 40 it says, And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the Greek here is interesting. He says to him, Why are you afraid? And it uses the Greek word dilos, which means cowardly. Why are you cowardly? Is what he's saying. Now that is the exact, exactly the same Greek word that is used in Revelation 21 about the unbelieving who are cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, verse 8, but for the cowardly, that's the word dilos, the word dilos, and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So, this cowardliness is a sin. 
this is it is a sin. We don't want to be like that. You know, we want to trust the Lord. Will he send us trials? Yes, he will, because he's trying to cause us to grow. He wants us to grow. And uh, so we can expect it. Trials will come. And our job is to trust him and don't be afraid. So we do trust the Lord's care. So the answer, do you not care that we are perishing? Yes, the Lord does care. (laughs) And he will do what is appropriate to get us through it. You know, now sometimes we do perish, don't we? I mean, all of us, if the rapture doesn't come first, we'll perish. Yeah, and so um, we don't have to be afraid of that either, you know, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All of us are headed that way, and we're headed for resurrection, uh, which is eternal. And so we don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Yeah, it's like that song, you know turn your face upon Jesus or look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth fade. You know, that's a very botched up paraphrase. <laughs> yeah, turn turn your eyes upon Jesus. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, we don't want to be afraid. When things happen that we don't like, we just say, okay, Lord, you know, I trust you. Help me through it. So then verse 41, they became very much afraid, and here the Greek word is not dilos, it is phobos. Yeah, phobos, it's fear or reverence. This, so, you know, and that's why these experienced fishermen were concerned about this, because, you know, they, they knew what was going on. <laughs> they had been out there, they were experienced. So, but the Lord was trying to have them grow in faith. And they became afraid of him with reverent fear, reverent fear. And that's what, you know, that's the fear of the Lord. That's what we, the Lord wants us to have, the the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's good to have fear of the Lord and to reverence him. So that's the first demonstration of Jesus' power, which is power over nature. The next one is power over the demonic realm. That is section B. Jesus casts out demons, and that's verses, chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. So how about I'll read that section. Okay. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat immediately, there's that word again, euthus, a man came, a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him any more, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. 
for he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine, so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about two thousand of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the country and in the city, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people, and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Okay, so verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. This is the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and this is Gentile territory over here. So, Then verses 2 through 4 tells us what demon possession can do to a person's physical strength. No one was able to bind him, even with a chain. So he is physically able to break metal chains. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. No No one was strong enough to subdue him. I would say in modern days now that this is the role of psychotropic drugs. Chemical restraint of violent people. Um, Because that's what psychotropic drugs are. They're chemical restraints. They do not treat the problem. But they restrain the person so that he cannot damage people. Um, And then the person needs to be evangelized. (laughs) Because if they're demon-possessed, you know, and how do you know if somebody's demon-possessed nowadays? I I don't know. You know, yeah, I think you can have uh, inclinations. And if if they're acting like this, you would be suspicious (laughs) that they were demon-possessed, you know. Yeah, that is one thing that psychology does not address, ever. Demon possession, you know, because they think it doesn't exist. They think there's no such thing. Don't believe in spiritual realities. Yeah. So, but, you know, I mean, and that that's how, for example, Thorazine came to be used. They just tried it. And they said, oh, that makes people more manageable. You know, they don't know. No, nobody knows how these things work. <laughs> they just try it. 
So demon possession can cause superhuman strength. What else does it do? Verse 5. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. So, you know, a demon, it doesn't care about its host. It doesn't care about its host. It's not going to care for its host. Uh, but in... Uh, I, I have two commentaries. Well, the quarterly and then this commentary I'm using... Um, mentioned this could be related to demon worship. You know, may, they may be worshiping demons, and we see that back in 1 Kings chapter 18. This is when Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to a duel to see whose God was real. And the prophets of Baal were dancing, you know, they he let them go first. And they were dancing around and ranting and raving, you know, for six hours. And this is what they were doing. So they cried out with a loud voice and cut themselves, according to their custom, with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And so, you know, this is demon worship. And so, they, you know, they're saying, well, perhaps, you know, the demon could just be wanting to inflict pain on the host or this guy maybe was uh, the the reason he was possessed was he may have been a demon worshiper initially and that's how he got possessed and he was just worshiping demons either either way it's bad <laughs> so verses 6 and 7 seeing Jesus from a distance he ran up and bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. Demons have a good Christology, don't they? They know who Jesus is. The leaders of Israel had no clue who Jesus was, but the demons knew. So, and uh, this from the uh, commentary also says, Naming a person was thought to be an attempt to control you know when you're dealing when you're casting out demons usually the like the the pharisees practiced exorcisms and the way they did it, it was they wanted to know the demon's name and jesus asked that too here what is your name he's asking him and so this demon knew his name so and who he was and so he's trying to command him Although he says, I implore you, do not torment me. The, what the demon is concerned with is he does not want to be punished before the time. He knows that his he will be punished. All the demons know they will be punished. They can read the Bible too. But they don't want to be punished before the time. <laughs> you know? And he... Yeah, who does? And so he was let... He wanted to talk to Jesus about don't don't get trigger happy <laughs> on us here, you know. And then Jesus asked his name, the demons, because he had been saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So apparently he didn't come out immediately. He had been asking him, and then Jesus asked, what is your name? And he told him his name was Legion, for we are many. So now... At this time, the Romans were in control of the known world, and a Roman legion 
was about 6,000 Roman soldiers. But also, this is from a commentary too, it said by that time uh, the word legion just meant a whole bunch, a whole, a ton, a lot. And not necessarily 6,000 specifically, but a lot. So there, more than one demon can possess a person at a time. Yeah, many, many demons can possess a person at a time. So, and it makes you wonder about multiple personality disorder, too. That makes you wonder about that. Maybe that's what's happening. Again, I, I'm just speculating here. So, so then the demon, verse 12, asked, says there's a large herd of swine feeding nearby, and we can understand that now in Jewish territory, you wouldn't see a large herd of swine. But this was Gentile territory. And so they were raising pigs for bacon, like we like to eat. You know, they were selling it in the Gentile cities for food. And uh, the demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. So they didn't want to be disembodied. Which is interesting, isn't it? They wanted to be inside something, <laughs> inside a host. Um, and I don't know why that would be. They, they, they're spirits. Yeah, they're spirits. And so maybe they like it in bodies. I, I don't know. Well, that you know, it makes it, it doesn't make you wonder. The pigs or the demons wanted to go into the pigs. What did the pigs do immediately? They killed themselves. Now, did the demons cause that? Maybe the maybe the pigs wanted to. Yeah, maybe the pigs wanted to. Yeah, that in the Bible does not tell us why that happened. So it leaves a lot of interesting questions that it's basically mere speculation. So, but anyway, so he asked. They asked permission to enter the pigs, which is interesting. They're asking Jesus permission which is what Satan asked God about Job. So de demons are on a leash. Demons and Satan can only go as, they want to go as far as they can to cause havoc and because they hate people. They hate God. We are God's image bearers. And so, you know, this gashing may be to, to mar the image of God. That's what they're doing. That, that may have been what was going on. And so they want to kill us and stuff. So they asked to go in the pigs, and then the pigs immediately commit suicide <laughs> by running down to the bank and drowning themselves in the ocean. And then verse... Oh, yeah, so what I what I was saying was that the, the demonic realm, we don't need to be afraid of the de demonic realm because uh, they're controlled by God. They're limited by God, you know. And if we treat them as the Lord tells us to, he will protect us from them. Yeah, the Lord, and, and that is the end of, you know, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us how to deal with demons. Um, and it's, it has a lot to do with God's word, you know, knowing God's word, believing God's word. You know, that's like Hebrews chapter 4, the first generation out of Exodus, the word of God was applied to them, but it was not mixed with faith in those who heard. 
So they heard the word of God. They refused to believe it. That's the key. You have to mix the word of God with faith in what it says and believe it and act on it. And that will protect you from demonic activity. So sometimes, because of our sin nature, we align ourselves with the demons. And then they can, if it, whatever access we give, they will take. They will take it and they will use it. And so that is that is when the that is when a believer can be used by the devil. You know, just like Peter was used by Satan when he said, "Oh Jesus, you're not going to die." Satan was using Peter, the saved apostle, to be. And we can be used by uh, the demonic realm the moment we start to go into the flesh and walk by the flesh. Um, we can be manipulated. So anyway, verse 15, they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. So this guy didn't sit for years on a couch listening to, you know, how his appearance abused him. He was healed in a moment and when the demons left. And he was totally sane, and he wanted to be Jesus' disciple. He wanted to join the uh, the disciples, and you know they were be training to become the apostles. What did Jesus say? Verse nineteen. He did not let him. Jesus has something specific for each one of us, and it's not all the same. For this man, he was not to follow him. He told what did he tell him to do? Go home your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. So he was a Gentile in the Gentile territory. He was to go to his Gentile family and tell them how the Messiah of Israel had healed him and to evangelize them. Um, he did not, Jesus did not have a plan for him to be an apostle. So um, you know, each of us has something very specific that the Lord has for us. And that's our, our job is to find that and to walk in it, what he has for us. Yeah, so we don't look at what other people are doing in general, you know. We know that all of us are, there are certain things all of us are to do. But the Lord has something specific for each one of us. And that is our goal is to follow him in that way. You know, the same thing, you can say the same thing about Peter and how he's going to die. The Lord told Peter how he was going to die. And then Peter says, well, how about John? <laughs> and Jesus says, don't worry about John. I have something specific for John, too. It's not your yeah, it's not your business. Your business is to follow it's me specifically. That's right. So each of us are to follow Jesus specifically in our lives. He has a certain life plan for everyone because he is immensely creative. And that is how we can maximize the glory we bear for him and how we can have the most uh, wonderful life personally. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We want to encourage people to follow the Lord, but they have their own path following the Lord. You know, 
Okay, so section C, Jesus heals a bleeding woman. So Jesus now has overcome nature. He has overcome in the demonic realm. Now he's going to overcome illness. So can somebody read 21 through 34? Thank you, Shirley. That's good. Yeah, thank you very much. So yeah, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. So now he's gone from the east side back to the west side, probably back to Capernaum, although the text does not tell us that specifically. And then one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him fell at his feet. So not every religious official rejected him. Not everyone. Here was a religious official with faith. And he had quite a large request for him. He says in verse 23, And implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. So he had faith in Jesus that he could heal her from a deathly illness. So have you ever made a large request of Jesus? This was a large request. That's a big one. Yeah, that that's a big one. And, you know, it, it'd probably take a while for us to think of. Um, but I think, you know, most of us do have some something like that. So, yeah, and and, you know, we want to come to him when we have problems. So this is from James chapter 4, 1 through 3, about asking uh, God for things. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. So these people are acting according to the flesh, right? You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So they haven't gone to the Lord and asked in prayer. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So we number one, we have to ask him in prayer. Number two, we have to ask with the right motives. The right motive is always to glorify him. That's always the right motive. And uh, if it will glorify him, okay. <laughs> you know. So now Notice verse 25 through 27. So Jairus goes up. His daughter is dying. He asks Jesus to come help him. And Jesus starts to go off with him in verse 24. And then there is an interruption. So now what is Jairus thinking? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. So, but of course, the Lord's orchestrated this too. This is a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years. And uh, she had done everything to try to, this is a difficult, chronic condition. And she had bankrupted herself, trying to get healed. But she believed in Jesus. And she believed in him so much, she thought if she touched his clothes, she would be healed. So she didn't want to bother him. So she sneaks up on him from behind and touches his his outer garment, his cloak. Yeah, she didn't want to bother him. Now, and basically, you know, she had faith, it says, 
Yeah, she says, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. So she had faith, but remember, it is not faith that uh, does anything. Your faith does not do anything. You can have faith in, you know, in, in the hot dog vendor. That's not going to do anything. You have to have faith in Jesus because it's Jesus who does things. Faith is how you access Jesus. So she had faith in him. Your faith is useless if it is not in him. And the result, verse 29, immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Faith in Jesus gets results. Faith in other things does not get results. If you want results, you have to believe in the correct object, the one that works. That's what works. So verse 30, immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? This is part of his omniscience again. So she wanted healing out of this interaction. What does he want out of this interaction? Right. What does God always want? Glory. God wants glory. That is what the whole creation is about. And so Jesus will be denied of the glory of this if she does it incognito and walks away. Won't he? <laughs> Nobody will know. He wants glory. And so he wants her testimony. He wants her testimony. So it's important for us to remember what God wants from us. God does want something from us. He wants glory. Right, and he called her daughter, which is the only place he called anybody that. A very, very affectionate term. So, yes, that's part of our communication. He wants us to acknowledge what he has done for us. That's thankfulness, thankfulness, you know. And he, he wants us to let other people know what he has done, legitimately done. Right, yeah, that's, that's another thing God wants from us. That's from John 4. Father seeks worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So two things he wants from us. He wants us to glorify him, and he wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Those are things that we can give to God so that it's not just a one-way street, our, our uh, interaction. Our, our companionship with God. So verse 34, she was afraid to confess. Verse 33, the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said, we're daughter, very affectionate. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So again, the faith is faith in him. So let me just read this last section since I know the bell rang. So this is Jesus overcoming death itself. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, your daughter has died, why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe, continue believing in me. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. 
And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was twelve years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and he said that something should be given her to eat. So Jairus had exercised his faith, and then he had his worst fears confirmed, because there was a delay, and his daughter died during the delay. Jesus told him to continue to believe. So how do you handle disappointment with Jesus? Do we get disappointed in Jesus? Yes, because he doesn't do what we want all the time. <laughs> you continue to believe, right? So then he took Peter, James, and John, the inner three, with him. Jesus says this death was only temporary because he has the power over life and death. He said, Talitha kum, so God can command his creation to do what he wants. He told this dead girl to get up. <laughs> and then he said, okay, she's probably hungry. Give her something to eat. So he healed her completely. She wasn't sick anymore. She could eat. And so she rose into a natural body. We are going to rise into a resurrected spiritual body that will last for eternity. And that's another passage that I won't go into because the time's out. <laughs> so, Lord, we thank you for your power, which is demonstrated in this lesson over nature, over demons, over sickness, and over death. And, uh, you know, what else is there? So, anyway, we thank you that you are very powerful and that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.